Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm Broadcast International Editor John Elms, and on this week's show, I'm joined by Senior Reporter Max Goldbart. And on this week's episode, we will discuss the strengths and limitations of the BBC's multi-million pound diversity content fund announcement. We will also be hearing from Inside Editor Jesse Wittick's exclusive interview with Ramesh Ranganathan, and we will be discussing the launch of Broadcast International's new editorial strand, The Distributors Showcase. All that, plus the ever-popular What We've Been Watching on today's Broadcast News Wrap. Max, absolute pleasure to join you again on this podcast. How have you been? Very good, thank you, John. And it's it's good to have you back in the host's chair. I've been I've been absolutely fine. I've just got uh, Southampton v Arsenal quietly on the uh, on the big screen, so I'm enjoying that to an extent. We're one nil up, forty six minutes gone. So yes, we're going to talk uh, diversity. Uh, Max, you've been taking a, a look at the recent BBC announcement of its diversity content fund. Uh, and you've been doing a little bit of analysis of this and, 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 and what the announcement actually entails and how the industry responded to it. Just, just give us a bit of context for it and, and, and what you've been discovering this week. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is something I've been, I've been working on uh, for, for a, a couple of days. Uh, and we're, we're doing the record on the 25th of June. Uh, and we'll have a story about this out on on broadcastnow.co.uk on the the morning of the 26th. Uh, so on on Monday, I believe it was the BBC announced a 100 million pound diverse and inclusive content fund, uh, and that is partnered with a new target for all new shows from next year to have 20% representation of uh, people from underrepresented backgrounds. Uh, in their off-screen, in their off-screen crew members, so not not including on-screen. So 100 million pounds seems like a, a hell of a lot of money. This is going to be spread over three years, and and I've just been drilling drilling down into it a little bit more. So so I would say the caveat to all of what I'm going to say next is that this move has been broadly welcomed. So there are going to be some criticisms coming up in the, in the next few minutes, as there often are, but. The move has been broadly welcomed. As I said, £100 million is a hell of a lot of money. And actually, I mean, previously, the, the BBC's money that it was putting towards diverse content, quote unquote, was £2 million in what it was calling a diverse development fund. So mm. that's a, a huge gulf between those two figures. But some things have come up. So first of all, the £100 million is across three years. So maybe ever so slightly cheeky to kind of hit us with that headline figure when actually if we're talking annually we're talking 33 million pounds which is approximately the budget of BBC4 I believe maybe slightly less than BBC4's budget the 100 million however will be ring fenced from the existing BBC commissioning budget and will only go towards shows that achieve two of these three priorities they need to be diverse stories they need to be uh, have diverse production teams and talent and they need to come from diverse-led production companies. And diversity in this instance is, uh, is quantified as either BAME, disability, or lower socioeconomic diversity, so working class in essence. Um, and I, I think the, the, the biggest issue people have raised, the biggest problem people have, 
is that there's currently no baseline. So we're talking about the BBC commissioning 33 million pounds worth a year of this content, but it's currently impossible for the BBC to say where they are on that scale. For all we know, last year they commissioned 30 million pounds worth of that content. They might be nearly hitting the targets. The devil is in the detail with this stuff. And if you really put some thought into it, thinking about high-end drama, for example, two very recent high-end dramas, one being Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You, and the other being the, the Noughts and Crosses adaptation, uh, those two are probably about five million a year, and those two both probably qualify. So just with those two shows, we're already at 10 million pounds, and suddenly 33 million or 100 million across three years maybe doesn't seem as much as it might have when you first looked at that headline figure. So question marks raised over it, and, and I would return once again to my caveat uh, about the sector broadly welcoming, welcoming it, but maybe the figures aren't quite what they first seem. I, I think you make a good point, obviously, when all these announcements are, are made about uh, funding, particularly for you know, something as important and as pertinent as, as, as diversity in, in our current you know, you know, landscape outside of the TV industry, let alone within the TV industry, but particularly in the TV industry, it is important that these announcements are being made and then we can analyze them further. You mentioned the, you know, the breakdown of how much that 100 million is going to be over three years, so 33 million a year, and, and not having you know, a benchmark for what the BBC are currently doing. You also, I, I feel there is a, a point to be raised about what the BBC means by diverse content. Yeah, I, th I think that, 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 that's, a, that's a good point, and that sort of, sort of moves nicely on to the, the second key issue, I would say, which is this, this definition of what, again quote unquote diverse and inclusive content is there is a line of argument that it would have been a lot more bold of the bbc to break all these forms of diversity out so to have a bame target and to have a disability target and and it's a really thorny issue but but to also have a have a working class target per se um, and and there, there's, there's a, a separate line of argument that, that, that it's better to, to aim for a higher proportion and to say that we're going to look to different strands of diversity and, and that will lead to lots of different strands to diversity on a, on a set, for example. But I do think the BBC can probably hide a little bit better if it puts all these strands of diversity in together. Uh, one thing that, that came up a, a couple of times during my conversations was the in indies led by BAME people, for example, they uh, feel under commissioned by the BBC at the moment, especially for prime time. And because uh, one of the, the tick boxes for this for this hundred million fund is diverse led production companies that may not lead to the issue of BAME led indies uh, being corrected. Uh, you could you could commission a lot of production companies led by working class people, for example, uh, or people with disabilities. Across the board, there has been plenty of calls for broadcasters to commission more programming from diverse led indies. And I'm, I'm talking specifically about the AME led in indies. And you mentioned that the BBC could have been a bit clearer. Channel 4 have specifically, specifically said that it will double the number of BAME-led indies, it commissions 
does the consensus that you found feel that this would it might have been a better approach for the mm. for the BBC? Yeah, a, a couple of people have, have pointed to Channel 4's um, six-point anti-racism plan, which which um, myself and Desiree spoke about a little bit on on last week's podcast. And that is a tangible, one of the planks to that, and, and something that, that we picked out immediately is a tangible effort to double the number of BAME-led indies that Channel 4 commissions within, I think, three years' time. So 2023, they need to hit those targets. So they're currently, last year they commissioned eight BAME-led indies. So that means 16 by 2023. Doesn't sound like a huge number, but that is something that Channel 4 will now have to be really held accountable for. And if they don't hit that 16 target, then they're going to look pretty foolish. Class is something that will keep coming up um, and is is always always a part of this conversation and never quite something that that you feel really gets broached nobody really gets to the heart of it uh and and in this particular instance i I thought it was quite interesting that the bbc is defining somebody as working class if your parents were in a what they call a routine or manual operation when you were aged 14 so it's looking back and saying people who when they were in their teens had parents who were working in a job that is a million miles away from being a, a TV producer at the BBC, those are the people who are going to qualify as, as working class and, and be counted towards these targets. And I, I thought that was quite an interesting approach to take. So it's nothing to do with, for example, the, the amount of money that you currently have. You could be a really successful self-made person in, in his or her 30s. Um, it's all about where you, where you came from. Quite an interesting approach and, and possibly does away with the uh, the coffee culture issue maybe because the likelihood is that if you were 14 years old and your parents were working in a in a routine or manual role um, they are less likely to know said tv producer at the bbc and to in to introduce you to said person and, and we all know how how that industry cycle kind of ends up never stopping basically yeah sure absolutely well i mean it's another you know another fascinating aspect of the of the conversation that we're having about diversity in the tv business the ongoing conversation and the conversation that will will have to continue for a long time about tv's limit the industry's limitations and and steps it needs to make to make diversity and inclusion you know part of the everyday fabric as opposed to a bolt on or a, a an ad hoc decision which is you know n- numerous people have said um is, is is currently the case in the industry so uh take a look at max's piece on broadcastnow.co.uk it's a very insightful piece and uh we'll just form part of the wider conversation insights editor jesse Whittock spoke to tv star ramesh ranganathan earlier this week about the diversity strides or lack thereof being made in the TV industry among myriad subjects covered in their conversation. Here is some exclusive audio. My personal experience is I've been, I've been, very, I've been very lucky, you know, and um, I, I've not experienced any overt racism. Whether I could tell you, you know, whether I know for a fact, because one of the things, you know, the truth is, is the thing that I get, the thing that I think is problematic or I've had first-hand experience of is the fact that 
historically television hasn't been diverse enough and you look you look at something like you know if i'm talking about from specifically from the point of view as an asian person you look at something like goodness gracious me which i i grew up watching and like found really exciting that asian people doing comedy on television that has not led to an ongoing tradition of having asian comedy on television it was goodness gracious me and then as far as i can tell like a massive gap and then other stuff started happening and that is uh for whatever reasons there's a there's a number of reasons that uh there's lots of different stories you know lots of different argue uh, arguments about it that people think that asian comedy is a genre that mm -hmm. people just weren't looking for stuff from those worlds that you know and i've heard stories from friends about where they've tried to get a, a sitcom away or something away and they said we've kind of already got this kind of script and that kind of script means with a black lead or you know with a black family centered about it so there's all that shit and so i think you know i the truth is i don't think you know it's it's not it's not happened the way it should have done you know people of color are, are not ha they don't have to do a show where they're making some sort of cultural point or some sort of representation point they could just do some bullshit only fools and horses but with black people i'm not so that's not a pitch by the way but do you know what i mean i, I just i just mean <laughs> i just mean that should be par for the course it shouldn't yeah. be a, there's a black sick have you seen this black sitcom blah, mm -hmm. it, it, that should happen there should be more representation across the board and so this is overcorrection or not overcorrection but there's this a sudden sea change but then what happens is the problem with that is it then makes you a representative for your ethnicity so mm. you know you get you get mate the number of times i get to see a tweet where where people say you know why romish ranganathan's been booked for that show you know and they make that insinuation now why is that person making that insinuation because they haven't seen enough asian faces on television and they haven't mm. seen enough faces of color on those types of shows and so when they do they have a reaction to it and they assume it's tokenism if that had been happening you know the for a longer time people wouldn't even think to level that accusation why they you know they sh they wouldn't even think to it's the same thing when like more women they made a big thing about more women going on panel shows and then every single woman that was on a panel show suddenly is a representative for the for their for gender women. yeah yeah, yeah they, every time they make a joke that somebody doesn't like see i knew it this is this is ridiculous so it's all it's all that kind of thing i think it's i think it's something that should have happened sooner mm. and it's it's starting to happen now i know that mates of mine of color they do have a perception that you're not allowed to fail in tv mm. like if mm. if i did a show and it went tits up you'd never hear from me again is is the perception do you know what I mean it's like mm. it's like they feel like they'll go okay well let's try let's try a black one uh you know let's try this okay no he's not the one he's not the one and so whereas you know you don't it's too it's too much pressure i mean you know that, yeah. that not be like that so it's all of these things as you said i think we're moving in the right direction and people will get frustrated there'll be people that get frustrated that it's not where they want it to be and i totally understand that and i and i would love to see more diversity across the board in television not just on screen mm -hmm. but you know i'd love to turn up to, to make a show and see more diversity in the in the camera operators and the production team and the every everywhere do you know what I mean yeah but yeah. I but I'll be honest with you I have noticed a change well that was a fascinating insight there from uh, Romish and you know it forms part of a really interesting wider piece written by Jesse uh, which is on 
along with Max's piece on broadcastnow.co.uk. Um, I think you liked it as well, Max, didn't you? Yeah, excellent, excellent, and I'm and I'm looking forward to to reading the feature. You you've been busy in the past few weeks, John, uh, putting together the broadcast distributor showcase which as, as of this week is, is in existence. Would, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit more about the showcase? Yes, I have been very busy uh, along with uh, the rest of the broadcast team in, in bringing out Distributors Showcase. It's a, it's a brand new editorial content strand. We're very proud of it. It is designed, you know, inspired by our, our hot picks uh, in our international editions tailored towards the two MIP events in in the beginning of the year in April and MIPCOM in October. But because of the pandemic, there are no markets to peg, you know, program launches to and distribution companies are looking for alternative ways of launching shows. And and we didn't want programming to fall through the cracks of people's uh, awareness and, and buyers are always looking for new program, especially in these, in these times when productions are being halted. So we set up distributor showcase, which is designed to show the best, and hottest programming from the international uh, content landscape. And uh, it has been a lot of hard work. We have 12 profiles up there. They're all from fantastic distribution companies. The programming that's been submitted has been phenomenal across the board. We had many more submissions than the 12 that we've initially showcased. And which is great because that means, you know, we're we're gonna be doing this uh, a year round product, which uh, will be updated monthly and you know, I'm really excited to see hundreds of programs, you know, showcased on our website uh, from myriad uh, distribution companies around the world, uh, giving people insight into shows that they might not ever have got a chance to see or hear of uh, in the landscape. So yeah, it's been it's been a great thing, and you you should you should check it out. I'm not just saying that because I helped create it, but you should check it out anyway. And uh, I, I hope you'll indulge me. Uh, Max, in, in, in giving the link broadcastnow.co.uk forward slash showcase. Indulged, indulged a plenty. It's, it's well worth a look. And now it's time for everyone's favourite segment, which I think is now becoming the catchphrase for the broadcast news app. It's time for everyone's favourite segment, what you've been watching. Max, what have you been watching this week? Very well introduced there, John. It <laughs> most certainly is everybody's favourite segment. Uh, I, I whacked on the first two Talking Heads monologues, uh, the the restaging of Alan Bennett's late 1980s plays. Uh, so this has been uh, 12, 12 have been done. What one was Imelda Staunton in A Lady of Letters. Uh, the other was one of the new ones, Sarah Lancashire in in An Ordinary Woman. Uh, and I simply thought they were fantastic. I've I've not watched too many Alan Bennett plays, but especially A Lady of Letters just sort of had you on edge the entire time, I found. And Imelda Staunton was just perfect. I really do think she's one of the best actors of this generation. She she just plays plays this woman who who herself is is perennially on edge with like a plum. Basically, I was I was really impressed with it. That was the first one. The the second one, an ordinary woman, was really interesting. Like deep subject matter. It's it's about a woman who falls in love in a sexual way with her fifteen year old son, and and she talks the the audience through her experiences, and then uh, without giving too much away, she broaches the topic with the son, and 
things certainly change after that. Sarah Lancashire, again, really good actor. They, they've picked some, some really good actors for the rest. There's Jodie Comer, Martin Freeman. And, and some other crackers. So, so I think it's, it's well worth a watch. They're all on iPlayer now, but I think they're going to continue playing out on a, on, on a Tuesday, two at a time. Uh, but you, you can watch all of the box set currently. John, you've, you've whacked on the new Sky Documentaries channel. What have you been watching? Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've actually been watching a hell of a lot of TV recently. But uh, one thing that particularly grabbed my attention was... Uh, as you mentioned, the new Sky, well, Sky Documentaries series um, of Mikes and Men, which is a documentary about Wu-Tang Clan. Um, I mean, I, I, I really like Wu-Tang Clan's music um, since, my, since my teens and, you know, have, have a fair amount of knowledge of them. But I think the really important part of the documentary, for a start, they have uh, the the documentary has all uh, remaining uh, members who are alive uh, of of Wu Tang Clan combining and and talking about their their history and their and their story, their careers, but also some some seriously high profile talking heads to to and contributors to factor in, and it's just it's 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 a really really well made documentary. It's it's got some fascinating insights into into their their lives and how they grew up um, in Staten Island and Brooklyn um, and, and extremely pertinent for the times that we live in. Obviously, you know, the, the current rhetoric around, around uh, current affairs in, in response to the Black Lives Matter uh, movement has been, has been obviously on, on, on most people's agendas, which is, which is right. And, and this show kind of adds to that, that conversation through the prism of, 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 of quite genius quite genius um uh group i mean wu-tang clan were fantastic and and they're very they're very tv like as well they've done a lot of stuff on content you know um be it through film they have a lot of um martial arts influences in their in their music and um and and they're they're, they're quite a, a tv friendly musical act to um, follow and uh and i've been very careful not to binge it all because it's four apps and it's extremely watchable as well as being fascinating. So I've been making sure that I've not just binged it and I'm just watching one episode at the at a time. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, I couldn't know less about the Wu-Tang Clan, so maybe uh, maybe that's my next uh, foray. Absolutely. Definitely worth a watch. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Broadcast News Wrap. Please make sure to follow us on Twitter at BroadcastNow. And check into broadcastnow.co.uk for more news and analysis. I'm international editor John Elms, and I've been speaking with senior reporter Max Goldbart. Please do check out this week's podcast, plus all previous episodes of the Newswrap, on Spotify, iTunes, or via our website. And don't forget to tune in next time for more Newswrap as we bring news and analysis from the television landscape. Goodbye.